for the week of November 8th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the second episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 10, The Passenger. This episode was directed by Peyton Reed, and in it, Mando's ambushed by bandits as he heads back to the Razorcrest on Tatooine. After a brief skirmish and some Mando tricks, Mando finds his way back to the nostalgic Mos Eisley Cantina, where he finds a new lead on where to find other Mandalorians. But first, needs to transport a passenger with precious cargo. However, on their way to the system, New Republic X-Wings attempt to intercept the Razorcrest, resulting in the damaging of the ship, leaving them stranded on a mysterious snowy planet. John, what did you think of this episode? <laughs> uh, my first hot take has to be that I don't think there's another show that is really delivering at the level that Mandalorian's delivering as far as spectacle, right? Like we've had two episodes back to back where the effects you, you could put those next to the, the biggest budget $200 million production and they would go toe to toe. There was nothing TV about this other than maybe some of the acting, but uh, as far as what they were able to put up on screen, it has no peer. Uh, I remember a few years ago, it was a big deal that they could get a, a quasi decent looking dragon on game of Thrones. And now, you know, look what they can deliver. I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm all in on season two. I'm having a lot of fun with what they're delivering right now. I cannot add any more to what you just said. And we will dive deep into some of these special effects and the spectacle that you just spoke on when we get to some of the stuff that's going on on this <laughs> yes. planet. But yeah. first, let's go ahead and break down the beginning here. So last episode, we got the teaser of maybe it's Boba Fett, maybe it's not. Nothing really picked up from here. Other than the Mando is immediately ambushed at the start of the season by some bandits. Now, it's mm -hmm. kind of unclear what they're wanting until we get into the actual, you know, ambush. And it looks like they're just trying to salvage what the Mando is doing. However, the one, you know, shouts, grab the child. And so I don't know. Do you think these are guys with a greater plan or are they just some bandits trying to trying to get some valuable parts? So my first thought was, oh, this makes sense because they want to remind us that he's still being pursued, right? Like mm -hmm. the baby is still a, a hot prize for any bounty hunter that's willing to go up against Mando. So I thought what they were doing was reminding us of really where we left off and that nothing's changed. He's still a wanted man. But no, they, they make it very clear. There's a couple shots as Mando is cruising on the bike. It's echoing through the mountains and you see these bandits perk up. So these are obviously natives. These are people that are just waiting for some unsuspecting fool to try and make his way through these treacherous passages where they can cut him off and, you know, do what <laughs> bandits do. Uh, so I don't think there was anything more to it. Cause obviously if there was, then the one that had the baby wouldn't have traded it for a jetpack, right? The baby's the prize, but these bandits obviously didn't know that they were just using the baby as leverage. Yeah, and to add on to that, the one that actually wants the jetpack is the same type of uh, species <laughs> yes. creature from uh, the Force it's Awakens. Tito. That yeah, yeah it's so Tito. it's a it's a little <laughs> Tito. We know that that's a kind of desert dwelling type of creature. So it's a Tito. We know that, and that was also like you said. Whenever you pay attention again to the echoing and then perking up, and then of course 
give me the jetpack. And then, right. you know, we get some classic Star Wars humor here where the Mando's like, <laughs> okay, I'll give you my precious jetpack and then I'll show you who's who's boss in the end of it. And so I, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I enjoyed that it was kind of what we have always expected from Tatooine. Like there are these there are these bandits all over the place and they care about salvaging the different parts. And this is right. very this is very common on that planet. Yeah, this is a lawless planet. This is the Wild West. People die in the desert and they're never found. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we're getting is a, a hint of that. And it, it ties very nicely into what has emerged as the predominant theme of at least this season, which is super Western heavy so far. So yeah, this, this all tracks. S- speaking of the, the whole jetpack gag, I was getting shades of Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. That's how I was feeling because they played it a little tongue in cheek and we're not supposed to really dwell too much on the fact that someone just died. Um, you, you think of Indiana Jones, you think of the scene where, you know, he's in the market and the, the guy comes at him with the knives and he just, you know, pulls out his gun and, and just has no more patience or time for it. Or, you know, at other times where, you know, there's these big deaths that are played for laughs. Uh, so I felt like maybe, you know, they were going for something along those lines, though. That's not really unique to Indiana Jones, but that, that's what I was getting a hint of just because, you know, he's our hero. So when he just kind of shrugs off, you know, these brutal situations and the baby is just kind of there taking it all in, you just wonder, yeesh, uh, yeah. you know, uh, is that the kind of thing that we want the baby seeing too much of? I don't know. A lot of fun. I thought that yeah. was a, a clever gag and uh, I really enjoyed how this scene played out because it, it was just, a little smarter, you know, uh, most action sequences, you get the fist to cuffs, you get the back and forth and it usually comes down to they're on the ground and they're both trying to reach for the same weapon and who's going to get to it first. Like there's some tropes mm-hmm. that they were able to sidestep by doing the jetpack gag. And you can only really do that in star Wars. Cause where yeah. else are you going to have a jetpack on hand to use as a prop, uh, for this kind of thing. So I liked it. It, it felt a little inventive and I was grinning. And this is another episode that once again, we see quite a bit of the Mandalorian's tools that he's kind of pulling out of his, his, uh, tool bag here in terms mm-hmm. of what, what he's using against these people that are trying to, uh, you know, uh, subdue him and all that. So it was fun to see that once again uh, at the beginning of an episode. And then of course, later on in the same episode. But yeah, we have a Mandalorian as a hero. What we know about the Mandalorians, they are people of honor, but at the same time, they are going to defend themselves and they won't necessarily hold a big grudge, but they definitely hold grudges until something is made up there. So that's that's sure. one of the things to where we will probably continue to see Mando do some of these things. But yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. I will say, though, I gasped when it shows the child just tumbling around after they're launched mm. off the speeder like it kind of makes you feel bad. And then. It almost makes you want to cry how the child runs up to Mando after the Tito puts him back down on the floor. It was just it was a really kind of emotional yet comedic 30 seconds we had there. Right. Um, They are playing a little bit uh, in movie physics where you can tumble off a bike like that and you're not, you're not going to get concussed and have a broken mm-hmm. back. And like, there's, there's some things that are, there's some superhero logic at play here, but I was okay with it because it made for a, an enjoyable scene. Whatever sympathy I had for baby though, it, it was starting to fade by the end of this episode when I really took stock of just how many little lives that, yeah. <laughs> that little, that little, uh, Bogwin devoured in this episode. So, uh, I don't know, like baby, baby's adorable, but baby does some dark stuff too. Yeah. So. <laughs> absolutely there is there's quite a few questionable things that happen along this episode mm-hmm. but the mando finally makes it back to moss eisley cantina runs into amy sedaris's character and she's hustling 
a guy playing Sabak or this creature, whatever type of species it is. And then Dr. in turn, Mandible, that yeah. was his name. Yeah. And then in turn, hustles the Mandalorian into covering this guy's wager. So once again, we get, you know, a lot of comedy kind of upfront. Uh, it's all good. You you brought in Amy Sedaris for a reason to be exactly who she is. She executed on this once again, and uh, it was fun to kind of lead up to the next transition in this story. Yeah, I've always been kind of split on Amy Sedaris because she's such a comedic actor, and and she's at least a recognizable face for someone like me that kind of knows the the sketch improv Chicago world a little bit. So I've never quite been able to invest in her because I feel like she's almost a little too cartoonish for the show. But I got to admit, she had some fun lines in this, uh, particularly when it's revealed that she basically roped the Mando into this real losing gig and she vouched and she's like, yeah, I'd, you know, I vouch on my life or whatever. Like, you know, she she really sells this. And then you find out that she's just really just moving pieces around for her own gain. And she's yeah, she's hustling. She's yeah. she's being a, a denizen of Tatooine who at the end of the day is always out for themselves. So I did like how she was used in this episode, though. It's still really, really hard for me to just get on board with that character, though. She's serving more of a purpose this season than last season. Absolutely. And she sets up this, you know, transition for this frog like creature that is basically taxing on the razor crest to get to her husband. The, mm-hmm. the story goes that she's trying to get to her husband so that she can fertilize her eggs, which are the last of her family line. And it also, like you said, it attracts the baby into doing some very dark activity here. I mean, <laughs> just the eggs being eaten by the child. It's, it's quite rough and it, it makes you now. It does point out these are not yet fertilized, so it's a little more okay, and I think that's what they were kind of building up to here. Yeah, but still, they put such emotional stakes on these eggs making it to the planet that, you know, I I love eggs as much as the next guy. I get there's a circle of life, and and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm no... I'm not delicate in that way, but there was just something so disturbing knowing that, you know, one by one, he's, he's lowering her chances of being able to carry on her family line. And that is such a, a dark little joke. And and I think they just, they played it perfect because they, they never really wink at it too much. Like baby's just being baby. Baby's got to eat and Mando doesn't know what to feed this thing. So, you know, it's always hunting down frogs or whatever it can find whenever they're out in the wild. So of course it's going to do what it's going to do, but geez, <laughs> you, know, you, you feel for those little eggs. <laughs> And then we also have another problem that launches us, of course, into the driving plot of this episode, which is the Mandalorian can't use hyperspeed on on this journey. Hyperspace, yeah. Is there, because I was trying to pick up on it and I went back and I I rewatched it and tried to figure out why he couldn't do that. Why is it that that was a part of the gig? It's the same reason why women can't fly when they're pregnant. You just, you don't (laughs) take the chance, right? Uh, You can't go on roller coasters. You can't eat shellfish. Um what it is, is a contrived plot device to ensure that Mando gets into trouble, right? Yeah. That's that's the whole purpose. I don't think we've ever come across a situation in canon before where hyperspace was a problem for health reasons, mm-hmm. but I buy it. I mean, of, of course, there there has to be uh, certain conveniences for the sake of the story. And obviously, you know, it served its purpose. They got into some mm-hmm. serious crap in this episode. So, uh, totally okay with it. I, I kind of cringed a little bit. I'm like, Hmm, okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a new thing, but, um, I don't know. I was okay with it. The, the whole episode was so charming and fun that I'll, I'll forgive it. Yeah. And I was just kind of waiting for the explanation. And if it's on the health thing, you know, I, I'm kind of on, on the same page with you where it's a little cringy because it's like, 
the stuff that they actually go through in this episode mm-hmm. seems a little bit worse than the bumpiness that's going to sure. occur during hyperspace. And so that was one of the things that I was a little bit confused on. But thank you for clearing that up. It does <laughs> definitely add to the story here because without that, we don't get a Dave Filoni cameo right, in exactly. the second episode of The Mandalorian of Season 2. So these X-Wing, New Republic X-Wings that come in, we have uh, a couple of classic things. Number one, they're monitoring the airspace, if you will, for yeah. you know potential criminals, potential uh, maybe Empire sympathizers that are uh, burst out across the galaxy but this leads us into the next thing so what did you think of these two cameos here with uh dave filoni and i'm gonna butcher the name so i'm just gonna say paul lee here well i'm glad that anytime filoni's on screen they pair him with someone that can actually deliver a line because that's just that's not filoni's thing you know (laughs) he's he's a great guy creative guy uh an asset to lucasfilm uh, but he's there purely as an indulgence for the Uber fans that will recognize him, not because he has any on-screen charisma. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, you know, they give him one line and then the other guy kind of takes over and delivers all the, the heavyweight lines. The thing that I really like about this is that one of the things that they were talking about in the gallery documentary that we were watching over the summer is it's fun to be able to play on the fringes of Star Wars mm-hmm. and just kind of explore all the goings on in this galaxy that happen adjacent to what happens in the saga. And I think this is a a great example of that because in the movies, when we see X-wing pilots, these are gung ho fly boys that are there to save the day. And they fly in at the right minute and they, they win the day and they're the best of the best and they're crack shots and they're a team and they're just all in for the rebellion. And it's this exciting thing when X-wings come on screen, these guys are just beat cops they're Mm -hmm. just patrolling the uncharted backwaters of space and they are bored out of their minds right like they don't even care like this is such a routine uh you know uh your taillight is out kind of a stop for them and i love seeing x-wing pilots in that context because these guys live 24 hours a day seven days a week it's not just the 15 minutes when they have to go blow up a death star uh they got to do something else (laughs) and uh this is what they do these these are the guys that now the new republic has turned into their 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 regular old policemen and it just added some realism to a story that up to this point had been fairly fantastic and lightweight and uh very tongue-in-cheek and silly this was just something that kind of grounded you back in the universe and just made you think that yeah there's stuff going on all over the place and there does have to be some infrastructure in place even in the outer rim there's still a presence from the new republic and so that it was it was effective for that and um, just competent in how there's, there's these little touches in the writing. And I got to credit Filoni with this. Like at one point when Mando finally sends over his, his transmission in the hopes that they won't take notice of anything irregular on it mm-hmm. because he's out of options. If he's going to play it cool and make it seem like he's just a regular traveler. One of the X-Wing pilots says, uh, Hey, Steve, can you switch over to channel two or whatever? And that's like such a a mundane little procedural thing. If they're going to talk about this guy because someone's noticed something and they don't want to spook him, Mm -hmm. they got to, you know, go off the public channel and they got to kind of be incognito for a second while they figure out what their next move is now that they're onto him. And it's just, it's a fun little touch and it alerts Mando because he's not stupid, but he still has to play it cool. He can't Mm -hmm. assume the worst and take off if, if maybe it, it is something more mundane. And that little bit of writing flavor just adds tension and it adds realism. And it just, that makes me grin when, a, yeah. when the people writing this show, take the time to really think through the scenes and work out all the nitty gritty stuff. That's going to make them feel very 
weighty. So yeah, high marks. <laughs> and it also is the saving grace in the end. It's the reason that they are rescued by the X-Wing pilots is because there's that comment where it's basically, hey, when we ran the report, we found all this extra right. stuff out about you. And that's why we ended up ultimately yeah. continuing our search and then saving you from these things that we'll talk about here in a minute. But mm-hmm. I have a pitch for Disney Plus. Disney Plus original. <laughs> it's it's going to be a series made up of shorts. It's going to be of the same tone of that of chips, but like I'm talking five minute long episodes of these X wing pilots just kind of doing these routine checks because it was it was enough to make me you know laugh a little bit and think like mm-hmm. whoa I kind of like even though it would be a total sarcastic kind of spinoff and wouldn't necessarily capture the star wars spirit but it would be fun just to kind of get a couple of star wars laughs in in a Mm -hmm. series like that i had a very similar thought back in the day and this is probably 20 years ago uh there was a fan film that someone made and i think it was called troops and it was a spoof on cops like the tv show cops where you've got beat cops and it's usually pretty mundane and stuff that they run into but every now and again they come across a guy who's doing something sketchy and the guy takes off and they have to chase him and that's the fun of cops is just the the stupidity of dealing with the miscreants the mm-hmm. the local miscreants and riffraff and so they have one called troops where it's stormtroopers on tatooine and mm-hmm. like there's a you know there's a shady jawa that they they have to uh, deal with and you know just like all the characters that you see in star wars just seeing them in their day-to-day lives trying to evade any kind of attention for the low-level criminality going on and it it's played for laughs it's a it's a spoof it's a parody and it's really well done it's a lot of fun and when i was watching this i was thinking well here it is mm-hmm. you know here's cops in space right here if, if you're going to take that concept and just talk about what is the the mundane routine kind of uh, law enforcement that goes on in the galaxy and what laughs can you find from it? This is kind of where we're at with things with, and the, how they're playing these uh, X-Wings at this point. So uh, I don't know. There's there's just a lot here to like. And yes, if they did some shorts just to give us something fun to nibble on during the off season or something, I think that'd yeah. be a hoot. Well, it definitely can't be worse than the holiday special. So Disney <laughs> sure. should just go ahead and red light that. Uh, however, and, and another cool thing that these X-Wing pilots do is they are informing Mando as he's, you know, t- breaking away on this little snowy planet that like, hey, the atmosphere is going to break mm-hmm. down your ship. This is not a good idea for you to keep resisting like this. And of course, the Razor Crest is damaged. And then the child uses this as an opportunity to eat more of the eggs. <laughs> like it becomes this whole thing where the child is just is attracted it, to these eggs to eat them all. It, it's really, it's it's cute. Like I don't want to underestimate the cuteness of the child here. And, and it's kind of funny. But like you said, like this is very precious cargo <laughs> and the child is just picking them off. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's just part of the fun of this episode. It it definitely swings from both sides of the pendulum. You know, we go from tense action to uh horrific to this kind of um yeah, dark humor and then we get some slapsticky stuff. Like it it really runs the gamut. Um yeah, I don't know what else to really say about the baby, but you're you're right. It it it's really effective how much we care about the, these eggs at this point in the show. And this, I'm just going to keep calling it the frog because I don't know what else to call this creature sure. here. But this, this mother frog, if you will, is savvy. She's, they have their own skills where they are able to rebuild this droid and the same droid that tried killing the child. And I think that that may come back here because we had a whole, you know, previously on the Mandalorian introduction of this, of this droid. So this may come back to, you know, to be a, a quick little threat there on the razor crest but mm-hmm. regardless 
she's able to rebuild at least the communications for this droid so that she can use it as like a a brain dead translator if you will yeah yeah it's there's a running theme there right like they ig11 got repurposed this droid's getting repurposed uh so there's something fun about that what i like though is for a character that's not speaking in a language that we can understand and has limited ability to emote because it's a puppet i was appreciating how fully realized it was because this wasn't just your stand in damsel in distress for the episode they go a long way to informing you of the character and kind of her inner strength you don't see it right at the beginning because she is kind of just backed into a corner and she's just desperate for help but you see that no she's had a rough life and she's just been scrounging and so she's had to pick up some skills along the way she knows how to handle a blaster she knows how to you know figure out how to communicate when she's desperate to get a message across she's gonna keep her eggs warm you know even on an ice planet she's gonna figure that out she's not gonna be uh so like just sort of cowed and demure that she stays in the ship until she freezes no she's going to go explore and figure out what options she has and all of those things just say a lot about what this character has been through and it makes you root for him you really Mm -hmm. do appreciate you want you want to see this frog get to wherever she's going and to find the better life that she's worked so hard for because you can tell she's been through some stuff and this frog is starting to become a very important character and i think that the way that this is going to transition into the next act of this season is extremely important i mean i have some theories that we can go over in the end here but the way that they drive this story specifically on this episode forward the frog like you said figures out i guess that there's some heat going on and i think that there might be something where there's some sort of internal heat vision that the frog naturally has because sure. it's the same thing the mando sees the mando sees the footprints and then right. sees a beam of it coming uh coming from this little you know hot springs with danger pods going on here mm. so the frog wanders off is chilling in the hot springs and then the child <laughs> is getting into some getting into some trouble here mm-hmm. obviously attracted once again to these pods the same way that it was attracted to the eggs And these pods, I really appreciated this, and I'm sure it was purposeful. These were very reminiscent of (laughs) the of Alien. It was the the, you know the face grabbery, even the design of (laughs) the actual snow spiders. But I really appreciated that he that the child kind of goes and starts eating whatever it is that's going on here, and then you get uh, you get the same feeling right away when you see the other ones start opening. That this right. is these are these are danger pods going on. Yes, uh, obvious homage, right? The the cavern full of eggs that you know are seconds away from hatching. It's so it, it's cinematic logic that they get there right when all these eggs are ready to hatch. Um, obviously, yes, they're they're playing up the the whole alien angle. The fact that they come out sort of legs first, the same way they did in those movies, so effective because immediately creepy. You know, that's mm-hmm. immediately got me on edge. I love that. One thing I want to say though, before we dissect, you know, the horror aspects of this episode is the spider design is actually something that they pulled from some old Ralph Macquarie artwork mm-hmm. that I think was destined for Dagobah originally, but they stuck very, very close to the original design. The way that the, like the, the belly part of it is like above, mm-hmm. like pointing towards the sky and they have kind of the, the, the sucker. Uh, thing like directly below yeah so that that's very very close to uh ralph Macquarie stuff so I, I don't think it's any accident that they landed on that design because as we know favreau's trying to draw on as much of the inspiration that 
Lucas drew on, not, not necessarily draw on what's been up on screen already, but Lucas needed visual guidance and he needed things to inform where he wanted to take the story. And so he needed a muse. He needed an artist to, to create these worlds. So he had something to visualize and, and invest in. And all of that stuff is archived somewhere at Lucasfilm and, mm-hmm. and obviously Favreau and, and Filoni and company, they're doing their homework and they're finding really, really interesting things to throw up on screen that we've never been able to explore that have only ever existed either in the lore and the fringes of the star Wars universe, like the crate dragon last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're really just, yeah, they're, they're world building and I love it. And I wonder if you have uh, more insight into this, but it was also very much reminiscent of the the Trident droid ships that were introduced in in the mm. Clone Wars. Uh, and so I wonder yeah. if the design is kind of inspired by the same concept art that you're talking about here, because that was the first vibe I got. I thought, oh, these things kind of look like sure. those those Trident ships. So uh, a lot of a lot of stuff that was interesting about the design here. Mm-hmm. But even more so was being able to do so much like this was way more special effects than we have ever had at the Mandalorian. Yeah. And that is in itself impressive because this looks just as good as anything else. And I know <laughs> uh, Favreau and company have the rule. Let's not make CG do something the puppet can't. And then, of course, when the frog has to break out her escape plan, she starts hopping around and i'm assuming that that is also special effects going on and it it, it, it's still convincing because it's like well she's not walking around day to day like this she's only doing that type of jumping around whenever there's a need for her to do so to get out of there uh and then the cg of course with all these these snowy spiders Mm -hmm. it was just all top notch it all looked great um, yeah, it did ruin a couple of my theories in turn that <laughs> I was I was pulling that this planet that they were oh, going yeah, on was going to be yeah. Ilum. It's not. Right. Uh, but yeah, other than that, this was it, it was exciting and it was cool to see because I'm watching this and I'm blown away by it. Like this is television we're talking about here. And not only is this television, this is the second season of a television show. And we're getting this level of special effects. It's quite mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah, no, it's a, a brave new era in prestige TV for sure. I would bet dollars to donuts that that uh, the frog leaping, I think that's wire work. I think that's mm. practical. They probably had to comp it into the scene, um, mm. but I don't think that's just pure CG. It could be a digital double. It absolutely could, but it didn't seem like it was so unattainable mm. to get that in frame if they wanted, especially in the volume where you can have it all lit properly. And so if you do have to do a little bit, bit of compositing so that you know she lands well ahead of Mando and they can kind of, keep it in the scene i bet it was just a mixture of some some practical wire mm-hmm. footage that they gathered and then a little bit of compositing to just make it gel with all the the movement of the camera in that scene um shout out to the volume on this so much of what we're seeing here and again it's it's so seamless is shot in the volume well i think it's all basically shot in the volume aside from maybe what's inside the razor crest mm-hmm. um just stunning how good they've gotten at tracking what they take practically on set and then extending it because there's a shot where they're they're clearly in the volume in the mm-hmm. um, hot springs room yeah. and now they have to exit because they're being pursued by the spiders and as our characters come out of frame uh the camera pulls back a little bit and the the spiders just all burst through and uh the big one kind of like pummels the snow out of the way and you realize that you're in a full-on effect shot mm-hmm. and obviously part of using the volume isn't just using what they capture in frame, like what they capture in frame is lit properly. And the the background behind the, the characters is 
kind of like 90% of the way there, but they still augment it and touch it up because there's going to be the roof seam and there's going to be some like more pattern from the, the actual led elements aren't always focused properly in frame. And there's going to be a lot of retouching and polishing and um, sort of like digital set extension that they still do in post. And the ability for them to do that with what feels like, you know, handheld tracking shots and, uh, and just some just really like fun and free wielding camera work. The fact that they can do those transitions between full on special effect shots and the practical stuff they shot in the volume. It's just, it's, it's so flawless at this point. You don't spend a second in this episode thinking, Oh, that's an effect. You're just totally invested in it. And what a great episode to bring Peyton Reed on because kudos sure. to Peyton Reed. And this is something that is, I mean, I know Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp were quite impressive films, but those mm-hmm. were more, those were less, you know, big time special effects stuff. Of course, you have Ant-Man shrieking and, and growing and all that right. stuff, but it was more of just a heist film. Like, let's make a classic heist film. And it, it both of them had somewhat limited special effects. I would assume that this is far more. The, these scenes that Peyton Reed captured with all these spiders was far more than anything Peyton Reed captured on ant-man and the wasp but it was one of those things hey let's bring someone who's familiar with working with something that is that has that high of stakes and has that level of uh production funding to bring on for this one and so peyton reed this was a great way to capture this episode um it it was wonderful so i absolutely loved the because the special effects and we've already got into the led screen and just the the volume of everything that's going on. But, you know, as much preparation as you would give, if you gave me the same amount of preparation as they <laughs> gave Peyton Reed, which I'm sure they gave a lot of preparation, I would not be able to capture anything of sure. this of this level. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't sell short the amount of effects in Ant-Man uh, mm-hmm. because there's a lot in there that if you don't realize it's effects, it still effects. I mean, they have chase scenes through a city where at this point it it makes no sense to really genuinely shut down a city to do big car chases and stuff like that. Like so much of that is CG and it's just so perfect that you think it's practical. And obviously in miniature world, like so much of that is pure Mm -hmm. green screen characters or just digital doubles. And it's like basically all animated. So anyone who's worked on a a Marvel film has to be very comfortable with the previs process and, uh, like they talked about again in gallery, that documentary did so much to help kind of flesh out our understanding of, of how the production works. Um, but the, the need to be really economical with your shooting schedule and have the show really, really built digitally. So pulling in people that have worked on Marvel films where large swaths of those films are basically previs digitally. And, and so much of it is, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of attention given in reshoots and things like that, where you do have to be economical. A lot of the skills that a Marvel director would already have, they could definitely apply or at least get up to speed with the Mandalorian production a lot quicker. Uh, so that, I think that's obviously probably why they would be mm-hmm. tapping Marvel directors. And, you know, we have a few now in the mix. So, uh, I think that's going to be a trend that'll continue because if they've proven themselves on a production like that, why wouldn't they want to spend some time in the volume and see what their next Marvel movie is going to be made like? Yeah. You know, this is kind of like a proving ground for them too, because then they're going to go on and they're going to be doing Star Wars features or Marvel features, just kind of like what we're seeing with some of the other directors that cut their teeth on season one. Yeah. So it all just, everything feeds in, you know, into the larger picture for Disney. They they have their stable of directors that they know can rise to the challenge when you have these really complex, technical, visual effects, heavy productions. And man, they're they're definitely doing something right. 
Yeah, and this is this episode, the way it kind of reaches its its climax here or its conclusion is mm-hmm. these spiders are up are approaching on the razor crest very much arachnophobia type of just craziness this horror aspects brought into it and just when it seems that that they are that they are going to be subdued it the x-wings come back and they saved the day like you were saying where they Mm -hmm. usually appear and do exactly what they're supposed to yeah these guys are so bored in space they're like we got nothing better to do we better just spend some time tracking down this guy we got anything more exciting to do before lunch today no but yes this is the the cavalry arrives just in the nick of time kind of well again it's it's a westerny theme it's it's an adventure theme and it works it's a lot of fun it was nice that uh they got a little moment to have sort of a face to face with mando and you remember that the x-wing pilots are the good guys cuz in a way in in mando's perspective this is the fuzz i want to stay as far away from the law as i can and because they kind of had to just do their job and you know check licenses and whatnot when he encountered them earlier you kind of feel like they're not the good guys and it's weird to think of Mm x-wing pilots as not the good guys so they needed a scene where the x-wing pilots have a chance to show their humanity and say like Mm -hmm. we're willing to look at the bigger picture this is a weird galaxy we're living in with the empire recently falling the republic wants to you know build something that's based on a measure of virtue and truth and justice and you know good things so we're not just going to be these like mindless authoritarians the the way that sometimes uh these things go we're going to actually look at the bigger picture and say well okay we could bring this guy in but honestly we saw the footage and this guy didn't want to be there he was not the bad guy in that situation he actually went out of his way to try and help one of our own would it really be just at this point for us to make his day that much worse after he just about got devoured by spiders or can we at least uh, give him a fighting chance to get off this planet? And then, you know, if he gets scooped up another day, that's not our problem. And I feel like that's just such a, a great way to paint everyone in the scene. These aren't bad guys. They're just all weird people in a weird universe, just trying to get by in a way. And it just, it felt good. It felt like, you know, that's, that's real justice. That's like sheriff justice. Yeah. I'm going to, my morality is going to inform how I approach these situations. Yeah. And, and it, it's exactly what they told Mando. They basically said, Hey, we are aware that the razor crest took <laughs> part in this prison break, which resulted in, of course, these prisoners being released, but it also resulted in a prison guard being killed. But then they dug deeper into it and found, well, actually, the Mando tried saving this individual's life and stood right. in between the blaster fire, so to speak, to to really protect this. And so that was where that honor comes in and represents what the New Republic wants to do. Like, we want to represent and protect good, and we want to right. be that good in the world. And so they're basically like, you know, we'll let you off. Just fix your scanner. Like it, <laughs> yes. it's it's a classic. Get the tail light fixed, dang it. This right, is the last exactly. Time I'm, I'm letting you. you off with a warning. I'm letting you off with a warning, but you don't want to run into me again. Yep. Uh so yeah, just a, a great way to play it. And it just it felt very true to how that scene should play out. They're not gonna stop and help this guy fix his ship. These aren't like super do-gooders either. Yeah. They still got a job to do, and they're not gonna waste their time with this bum, but they're also not gonna go out of their way to make his life more difficult when they they understand he's not mm-hmm. he's not genuinely a threat to the galaxy. They have bigger issues. They're looking for the empire. He ain't it. Even though he's into some sketchy stuff. No, he gets a pass today. 
I love it. it yeah, it, it's great. It's um, our <laughs> listeners may, if they stuck with us through the our season two review of Resistance, they may be picking mm. up themes of some sort of inconsistencies here because during Resistance season two, we always had, I wouldn't say it was a negative take, but we always, you know, the the one negative check mark against the second season of Resistance was that we felt like there were too many missions of the week. We weren't getting into right. the meat of the season. But now we have kind of a similar thing going on, but different. So what kind of makes our review of this episode of Mandalorian so different than our approach from last year? Well, there's nothing wrong with a mission of the week kind of scenario. If it's inspired, like if the adventures that they're going on have enough fun, unique things that we haven't seen on screen before to carry the episode, then so be it. If, if obviously this is just kind of like one step forward. And, you know, this isn't super serialized the way that maybe we originally were thinking the show would be. Um, I'm okay with it when it's done well. And when you take the time to make a pit stop and show us something like a crate dragon mm-hmm. or give us some really nuanced understanding of Tuscan Raiders and make an, an analog to sort of the dynamic between uh, the natives and the settlers in the new world kind of a situation, when they take the time to build really interesting themes and yeah, just explore then. So be it go on an adventure. If you're going to give me something really memorable and thought provoking and enjoyable to watch, I I don't care if we don't move the larger narrative forward that quickly, but I'm, I'm going to say, I don't see these as missions of the week. They kind of are right. There has to be something for the Mando to do mm-hmm. throughout the season before he gets to his goal. It, it would be kind of a, boring show if it was just like yeah i know where the mandalorians are go over there and he goes over there and they're there like (laughs) that's that's not how entertainment works there has to be conflict there has to be obstacles but what you should be noticing with this is with the first episode they set the table and introduced a lot of new characters that we know are gonna come back you know Cobb vanth more than likely boba fett obviously we're gonna get more from that storyline and he needed to get to tatooine because he needs basically his his cargo here. Now, if he'd got to the end of this episode and delivered the cargo and and then there's this walking away scene of like, okay, we've reset the deck and now next week he can figure out what his next mission's going to be sort of, you know, just like um the the gunslinger trope of he travels from town to town. Mm-hmm. If that was as high as they were shooting, so be it. But no, this is not a a fetch quest so much as this is the first in an arc of episodes. Yep. Right? We still have the frog lady we're still, you know, busted up drifting through space. You know, this is, this has left Mando down and out, not just walking down the road to the next town that needs help. So, um, I understand how at a glance it would feel kind of like, uh, an adventure of the week kind of a thing. And it certainly has an element of that. Cause I don't think we're going to see these spiders again anytime soon, but they are driving the narrative forward. They are setting up a lot of storyline and they're, they're giving the Mando real stakes that are persisting through each episode. And that's the difference with resistance. It was, we need fuel. Okay. So let's go to a planet. Oh, there's a monster that's guarding the fuel. Okay. Let's kill the monster and get the fuel and then get back to the station. Okay. We're back at the station next week. We need more fuel. Okay. Like that's different. That's not the same kind of story craft that we're seeing here. And I am quite positive that our frog lady is what we saw. I think we see her on that that boat that we got in the trailer because we got a very similar egg pack that she's heating Mm -hmm. up. But in the trailer, she's with a similar species, a kind of bluish tint to this, to this other character, quite taller, 
looks maybe possibly uh, a little more masculine than this one. So I'm assuming that this is all leading to the boat, that the that the end goal of reuniting this frog lady with her spouse is going to end on this boat. And this boat yeah. is also going to be the transport that takes him to the other Mandalorian, which then is leading to the Sasha Banks character. Hopefully, yeah. I think we're getting extremely close here to being in a very fascinating storyline of this season because I think this is where the mysteriousness behind it possibly leading up to Ahsoka, who knows. But yeah, there was a lot of speculation on who Sasha Banks' character is. It seems like now she's either a Mandalorian or someone that has the information on where to find the Mandalorians. Right. Yeah, uh, we could speculate all we want. We did that in one of our preseason casts, so I'm, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. I'm I'm eager to find out, though. Um, my guess is this is probably like a three-episode arc, mm-hmm. and I have a feeling that in two episodes, we're going to part ways with the frog lady. You yeah. know, she's going to be reunited, and the Mandalorian is that much closer to his his goal of, mm-hmm. you know, finding someone that can get him to the Force Wheelers. I think those are pretty safe predictions. I, I couldn't see the storyline going any further than three episodes. And that's also a very Dave Filoni kind of a format, right? In in Clone Wars, often they would stick to the three to four episode arc kind of a thing, like three episodes and then like a transition episode getting you into your next arc. I feel like yeah. we could be seeing a little bit of that. And again, that would kind of help make the point that this isn't so much adventure of the week as we set up uh, mm-hmm. a multi-episode adventure that does two things. It, it invests you in some new characters and gives you some nice payoff and gives them an arc and it moves Mando further down the road at the same time. So quasi serial quasi episodic, but hopefully just a whole lot of fun. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all I hope it for. And I encourage the ones that are on the side of speculation to go ahead and just pull up that frame where it shows kind of the back of the Mandalorian <laughs> on this boat, because I'm quite positive now that that is in fact, our frog lady being reunited okay. with her, frog species yeah who knows well we'll find out in either next episode or the one after that we're probably going to see these scenes play out it is definitely coming quickly i think it's coming faster than we expected i think these next few episodes are going to leave us with more questions than answers (laughs) and i'm super excited for all of that john what are your closing thoughts on this my closing thoughts are the show came back strong they really did some serious flexing to show that even over the course of one season, they've seriously upped their visual effects game, which is awesome. Cause if star Wars is going to be sequestered to TV for the foreseeable future due to COVID delays and just all the rest of it, all, you know, all the drama we don't need to get back into. Um, if this is where star Wars is going to live, I love that they can deliver spectacle at this level. Cause honestly, when I put this up on my big TV and shut off the lights and turn on the sound system, this is, as good a star Wars as I've ever seen in, in so many ways, this, this feels so right and so grand. And I just love that they're pulling it off and two episodes in no duds, you know, very few criticisms other than some TV level acting. Like that's the one thing with the series that I I feel shines through a little bit is it does have TV ish moments in sort of the lightweight interactions with some of the secondary characters, but that's a very small criticism for a show that's shooting high and really hitting the mark. And while they are patiently awaiting the release of our next episode, John, where can our listeners find you? Well, uh, for our American listeners, they might be aware that over this past week, there was almost an election. And 
Uh, anyone who watches SNL knows that this time of year during election season, that's kind of what the show is all about. They love to try and skewer what's going on. And if this past week hasn't given them something to bite into to, you know, maybe lampoon on this weekend's episode, I don't know what would. Uh, so all that to say that I cover SNL on another podcast called SNL After Party, and we will be covering this weekend's Dave Chappelle hosted episode with musical guest The Foo Fighters, and our coverage of that will be out early next week. And anyone that would love to check in on what we have to say about SNL and all the craziness going on in the world, by all means, find us at SNL After Party on YouTube or wherever better podcasts can be found. And you can keep up with this show by following us on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by reaching out to us by email hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes online at Star Wars TV Talk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcast. And please hit that subscribe button. You can find our TV Talk network at TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always. <laughs>